Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. From WFIU, WTIU News, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, our News Bureau Chief. We're recording the show remotely today to avoid the risk of spreading infection. And today we're talking about the Monroe County Community School Corporation's plan for fall. We're here with members of the Reentry Committee. Our guests today are Paul Farmer, a teacher at Bloomington High School North and MCEA president. Crystal Bratton, who's a Bloomington High School North Department Chair, and Judy DeMuth, the Monroe County Community School Corporation Superintendent. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, and you can send your questions to the show to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Thank you all for joining us today. I know this is a a very busy time for all of you. Wanted to start with uh, Superintendent Judy DeMuth. Good to to talk to you again, Judy. You've put together this reentry committee. Uh, how big a task is it for you to get ready to start for school, start start school in the fall? <laughs> um, yes, in my 44 years of education, this is probably the most difficult challenge that we're confronted with. Um, I think that it's going to be um, an interesting start to the school year. Um, but I have to say that uh, with a lot of great people and great minds working together, I think we can do this. Um, About a month and a half, if you would have asked me if schools were gonna begin in the state of Indiana, I probably would have said no. Um, But then as you well know, and I'm sure our listeners know, um, there was a a real push by Governor Holcomb um, in a lot of states, quite frankly, uh, to get the economy back going. And at that point in time, within a week, we found that our challenge was going to be to actually uh, begin the school year. So. With that in mind, um, we all came together. Um, we have a broad-based committee, and that's the Recovery and Reentry Committee, and, and some of the uh, partners are on here today. And so they've done a lot of work. It's, it's hard work, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we've been meeting with a group of teachers, and then also, of course, our principals. So um, a lot of great input, and um, hopefully we'll have a great plan in place as students reenter the schools. I have to uh, always remember that the very first time I heard you speak in Bloomington when you became MCCSC superintendent, you talked about your highest priority being the safety of students. And I don't think you had a pandemic in mind at the time. (laughs) You know what? Uh, About 20 20 years ago, I remember the state, uh, the Department of Education put something out about a pandemic. And I remember sitting in my office saying, I don't even know what this is. I'll never have to worry about this. Well, um, obviously, we are worrying about it. Right. Okay. So, Paul Farmer, um, can you talk a little bit about your work on the reentry committee? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you for having us here today and giving us the opportunity to talk about what what we're doing right now. Um, like you mentioned earlier, I'm also the association president here in, in Monroe County, and uh, I also want to say thank you to Dr. Demuth, um, giving us the opportunity to work together 
along with uh, the whole Bloomington community and uh, getting all the teachers together uh, to be able to come up with a strategic plan of moving forward. Um, as you mentioned, the safety of the students are paramount. Uh, we can't argue against that. And you know, as we move forward, we also have a lot of other people too that we wanna protect too. Uh, teachers, custodians, administrators, parents who come into our buildings and so on and so forth. So it's a monumental effort. Um, as Dr. DeMuth mentioned earlier, I mean, this has been something that since March, we've, it's been in the back of all of our minds. Um, from a teacher standpoint, uh, Crystal, of course, she's on the show today. She's one of the teachers that uh, um, has been on the committee. We also have, um, as Dr. DeMuth mentioned, we have a teacher committee. There's about 25 to 26 uh, teachers that are on that as well. As an association, we also have a separate committee too. Uh, we call it our summer task force committee that's working on it. Um, and there's a little over 30, 32 of those. Um, so we've got nearly 60 teachers who are participating right now and putting efforts forward, getting teachers' opinions, parents' opinions, and, and uh, trying to bring those to the committee. So when we say it's a collaborative effort, there's a lot of people involved. And so I appreciate her giving us that opportunity. So. All right. I want to get Crystal Bratton to give us her original or her, her initial thoughts as well. So Crystal, if you could unmute and yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, good afternoon. Um, this is quite an, um, a great opportunity to be a part of this. Um, I've been teaching at Bloomington North um, for an 11 and a half years. And when you go into teaching, you talk about um, the difference that you want to make um, in the lives of like your students and their families. And you don't really think about, um, you know, doing it during a pandemic. So it's been quite um, a change um, of speed. But I would say that our corporation has done an amazing job of supporting us um, and really working with our families and listening to our families. Um, when I was given the opportunity to be a part of the main re-entry committee, um, I jumped at the opportunity to, to be the um, high school teacher as well as special education um, teacher kind of like input about bringing our students back into the schools. Um, and I think it was, um, you know, great and what a, um, you know, an honor to, you know, be a part of it, but also the importance of the teacher's aspect. And I just, I thank Dr. DeMuth for, you know, bringing the teachers into that main committee. Um, I love seeing all the different people in the community coming together and wanting to work together, you know, for our students and for MCCSC. And that's just what's, you know, sets us apart from others, I feel like. Um, but also being a part of the all teachers reentry committee um, has been great too. And kind of seeing like both sides of like, what are, what are the concerns of all of our teachers from you know all different levels and classrooms, and then bringing that information um, and those concerns to the reentry committee for the community to think about has really been um, a great opportunity. Great, you've got so many minds working on this. I, I want to mention though, and have you talk a little bit about, um, and I guess I'll go with Dr. Demuth first. The enormity of this task. I know the. The State Department of Education sent everybody uh, basically a reentry guidelines and ideas, and it was a 30 page, 38 page document. So there are a lot of things to think about uh, from being in the classroom to being in the cafeteria to whether you're going to have gym. I mean, can you just talk about the enormity of putting this plan together? Well, it is enormous. There's no doubt about it. Um, 
you know what, about six, I, I had the pleasure of serving on a task force committee with Dr. McCormick, our state superintendent. And uh, about six weeks ago, she completed um, from the Department of Education a plan. At that point in time, the plan was get, called Getting to Yes. And uh, we had put a lot of time into that plan um, and really tried to approach it from the safest uh, and best educational setting for children in the state of Indiana. Um, it then went to the governor, the legislature, the health departments, and then it was spit out a couple of weeks ago. And the new name of it is Indiana's Considerations for Learning and Safe Schools in Class. So it really went from recommendations to considerations. There's a lot of flexibility in the plan. Um, and although the plan looks like it's 30 some pages, when you really copy every appendix and every document, it comes out to about 320 pages. So we've been studying that um, as we've worked with our committees and as we craft our plan. And uh, the, the challenge is enormous. When you're serving 10,600 students, you've got in any given day, 2,000 staff members and safety and security um, is paramount importance for our families, for our staff. Um, you know, we have staff members, students with health uh, situations that we have to be aware of. Uh, we have to work with these folks. And you know, one thing I that's so, important in education that we want to make teachers happy that it doesn't matter I say it doesn't matter what I do what my assistants do if teachers aren't happy children feel that and we've got to make sure that we have a safe and, and make sure we have safe provisions for our teachers so that our children feel safe and teachers can do what they need to do but we're studying it from every way um, including parents being afraid or not wanting their children to come back to a building, to children actually coming back to the building, to transportation, to feeding them, to having uh, social distancing the best we can. So all of this uh, is really being taken on by all these folks. But I'm so proud to say that we are really kind of funneling in on a plan. Um, and in fact, I've reviewed a draft here early this morning. And so um, all these great minds are trying to put together a plan that's going to really be safe for our children and our teachers and our staff members uh, to the best of our knowledge, recognizing that until there's a vaccine or until, you know, this thing is eradicated, we're going to have to deal with it. Sarah? Can you talk a little bit about the survey that went out to parents and maybe talk a little bit about just um, sort of what was included in that and the kind of feedback you got from parents? I think, Crystal, could you address that? I haven't um, seen a lot of the parent survey personally because I know that it went to our downtown administration. Um, but as a parent, um, I know that there were obviously safety concerns and what we were going to do moving forward but I you know it was overwhelming that parents wanted their students to go back to school you know they they realized that like it's not going to be the way it was at the beginning of last school year but just the social emotional aspect of like going back and seeing their teachers and seeing their peers um, you know, it was pretty overwhelming that, you know, they want to get them back into the school. Um, you know, they want their teachers to, you know, give them great instruction and, um, but also for us to make sure that they're safe. So when, when do you think that the plan will be 
put together. Dr. DeMuth, do you have a, uh, a roadmap going forward? Uh, we do. Um, you know, we, we've tried to take all the work from the various committees and all of the voices and really try to distill it into a plan that's easy um, to read and understandable. So as I said, early this morning, I reviewed a first draft. Uh, we hope to take a draft plan Tuesday evening to our board meeting. Um, and then at that point in time, put it out there for the public, see what kind of in input we get. Uh, and then come back the following week on the 30th and actually have the board approve the plan, um, recognizing that this thing's changing every day. So although we have a, a skeletal plan, the important piece of this is, you know, some things in the plan will change as the health departments work with us along this road. And I do have to say between Dr. Box at the state health department and then our own Petty Coddle here in Monroe County, uh, those two people have been unbelievable in terms of trying to help us um, gear this, move it forward, and then recognizing that on a daily basis, and, and like Penny R says to me, minute by minute, this changed. So I can't thank them enough. So I, I should go back to, um, to Sarah's question as well and, and ask you, what, what have you learned from parents from the surveys that, that you've been doing? So um, we've done a number of surveys. Uh, the first couple of surveys was really to uh, check on uh, as you know, the day before spring break, we had to dismiss students um, and they left. And our teachers had to change their entire way of educating kids to an online version. And I, have to, I am so proud of our teachers and our staff members. You just need to know, Mr. Paul Farmer has been wonderful. Crystal has been, I'm recruiting Crystal to be an administrator. I mean, they have been wonderful because those folks gave their whole spring break. And I, and I think that's something that people take for granted, but our teachers had a spring break that they never saw this year. And so they helped to put the, all of the information and all of the, um, we use Canvas as a learning management system. And so they actually taught those students um, through Canvas. So we were really trying to gauge what teach, uh, parents felt about um, our operation, recognizing that it happened within a week. You know, within a week we were teaching online. So now as we go back, and we know we're going to have to close down, whether it be a building, possibly the corporation, you know, we're going to have to go back to online learning. In addition, we're going to have an online uh, program. So what is it that our parents felt or how did they feel about that experience and how could we improve? So we did a lot of work in that area. Then we did some uh, temperature checking, if you would, um, to see how many parents were going to actually send our chil their children back to our schools um, and try to gauge how many of our parents would then you know, choose an online version. And as you can well imagine, um, the virtual schools have bombarded the market right now. So we really want to keep our MCCSC students. And the bottom line is um, we are going to offer that online. So we did a temperature check to, to get a, to gauge that. Um, and really statewide, as we looked at different communities, um, we recognized that about 30% of our families at that point in time were saying they may take advantage of an online opportunity rather than sending their children back. Um, so now we're to the point where once we put this draft plan out in public, 
we'll come back with another survey because now it's getting real. We have to know how many of our families are going to come back to us with their children so that we can probably pro properly staff. And so right after that draft plan goes out within that week, we hope to get another survey out and then also to determine how many of our families are still going to use our transportation services um, as we head back to school. All right, we're talking with uh, Dr. Judy DeMuth from the Monroe County Community School Corporation today, along with uh, teachers Paul Farmer and Crystal Bratton. If you have questions about the restart of MCCSC or any comments about it, you can participate in our live chat by tweeting at Noon Edition, and you can also send us questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Paul Farmer, what have you heard from teachers about this, you know, this quick turnaround and, you know, what did you learn in those first couple of months of online teaching that are going to help you this fall with either a hybrid system or if you have to go to totally online again? Well, I think one of the things, um, no matter what, any educator, when, when they start, even if it's not even during a pandemic, they know they start with plan A and they end up with plan C, B, D, and E. Um, that's just part of teaching. Um, what they realized was it's accelerated. Um, and so they, they have to plan different things. Um, and definitely when they went to online, they, the realization was right in front of our face. It really made a difference with the students. Um, it, it became blatantly clear um, a separation. In other words, you really had to treat almost each student as their own individual, um, call it an IEP, IEP, individualized lesson plan uh, for our students um, with uh, difficulties. Um, so it's as we move forward um, into uh, the school year, as Dr. DeMuth said, we'll have an online option and those will be working with those students, you know, from the beginning of the year online. So that'll be a little separate. And then we'll have classrooms. There may be intermittent times, um, you know, there may be an outbreak in a building. And so we have to close the classroom or close the building. Or in some cases, maybe if it's uh, the worst case scenario, it'd be to close the corporation as a whole for a time period. Well, once again, the flexibility, being able to change on a dime. Um, that is very stressful um, for whether it's the students or the teachers. It's very stressful. Um, you like to have consistency and the kids thrive on that when they know they can come to school and they have the consistency of the teachers each day. Um, when they're not there, that's more difficult for them. Um, so, you know, those are the things um, that, that the teachers had to learn is to be even more flexible than what they were in the past. And not only that, for many of them, I know our high schools in particular have done Canvas for many of them several years. Our elementary teachers and middle school teachers hadn't used Canvas, in some cases, none at all. Um, and like Dr. DeMuth said, they had to learn how to do that in a week um, and present that. So that in itself has been an issue as well. Um, so, so just a, a little clarification and a detail. So we'll... Do you expect to have uh, some students that will have some online and some in-person uh, in, in person instruction, or will it be a situation where either kids will be online or in-person unless you have to shut down? Well, um, there could be a variety of situations for some students. Um, 
like say for example there, there's going to be a group of students um, with their parents they make a decision they want to do online so from day one they've identified it they uh, they'll have some options I don't know all the details of it yet but probably a semester or a year they say I want to do this for the first semester I want to see how things are going um, and then maybe they plan on coming back second semester then there'll be another group of students who are face-to-face so they're going to buildings there may be situations um, like say for example there may be some medical situations with some of our high-risk students where maybe they have a bit of a hybrid possibility I mean there maybe their doctor says they need to have that to be safe Um, or there's a shutdown maybe um, I mean as Dr. DeMuth mentioned we've got over 14,000 employees and people involved in our school corporation it's not if we're going to have COVID it's when and so it's going to show up. And so what does, does Monroe County Health Department, how do we do that? Do we shut down a single class? Do we shut down uh, a building? Do we shut down the whole corporation? So I think there, there's going to have to be a blend of things that happen throughout the school year. Um, I, I, I don't think there's any intent of having students say just for the fun of it, they show up, well, I want to go online, then I'm going to show up and <laughs> we're yeah. not going to be going back and forth. Um, so I, I don't think that kind of a hybrid is what's going to be planned. Okay. Just a follow up to the online learning, Paul, um, in, you know, at the end of the last semester, like you said, teachers had a week to put something together and it really didn't mimic what was going on in the classroom. So I'm curious how much the online program will mimic the actual classroom this, this time around. Well, I think there, there's going to be definitely changes uh, from the spring to the fall. Um, we weren't able to prepare for the spring. <laughs> that was something that happened at, at the instant. And so that was much more difficult. So uh, there are teachers working over the summer already um when actually when they're not even being paid to do that um they're doing that on their own time um getting classes ready to go and um there will be some mimicking yes um that we do have from a school corporation standpoint we do have a curriculum guide so if you're a third grade student well you're supposed to as an educator during the third grade year you would be covering these kind of a pacing guide and, and they go through so the, you know, and, and, and if you're um, like, I'm biology, physics, and chemistry. So if I'm a chemistry teacher, I would be following along what the other chemistry teachers are doing uh, together. Um, so, I mean, there's going to be some mimicking, but obviously there has to be some differences. Um, you know, if you're in a, a family uh, consumer science class, a foods class, well, what you do at school may be very different than what you're able to do at home. Um, so there's going to be some differences, but they ha- there also has to be some consistencies um, and uh, uh, accountabilities, I'll put it that way, to curriculum and things. Crystal Bratton, I want to ask you about special education. I know that that's an area that you teach in. I, Paul mentioned IEPs, and you know, you're familiar with IEPs for, for a lot of your students, I'm sure. So how does this idea of trying to deal with COVID um, in the population of students that you work with, you know, how does that make things more complicated? 
Well, you are correct that um, the majority of the students that I worked with work with have IEPs and I also have like a caseload that I'm in charge of. So I'm making sure that they're receiving their accommodations and we're working on goals, you know, and we're still moving forward. And so I would, I would say kind of commenting on the last question too, that Paul was answering was, you know, when we, when we left in March, it was, we didn't really know that we weren't coming back and we wouldn't be able to come back for a very long time. So we took stuff with us, but we didn't take a lot. And so it was kind of one of those things where, you know, we weren't necessarily as prepared as we needed to be. Um, and we couldn't get things to our students. You know, we have a lot of students who weren't able to get um, access to technology. And so we were putting together paper packets and, you know, the schools were doing an amazing job of um, letting us email them the material and they were printing it for students and letting students come and pick it up, you know, different, you know, um, accommodations that we could make in those regards. Um, and then, you know, the mailing, you weren't supposed to mail things and you were supposed to let it sit for 72 hours. And there were just so many steps that were, you know, kind of like in our way to get the things to our students that we needed, they, we needed to get to them. Um, and so we had to be really flexible and creative. Um, and I personally think, you know, our special education teachers, you know, did an amazing job. Um, but a lot of us were, you know, learning, you know, different strategies. So, you know, meeting, calling our parents um, and setting up uh, Google or yeah, Google Meets to meet with our students periodically. Um, we have some of our students who have um, uh, deficits in just like organization. So, you know, putting it together a schedule for them and sending it to their parents and sending it to them. I had many times where I um, would call a parent and ask to speak to the student and ask them, hey, I see that you haven't, you know, turned your work in for today. Let's get going, you know. So we had to still be there for our families and our students, but we just had to figure out new ways to do that. Um, our Canvas, you know, learning management system is great in that regard. You can chat through the, that feature. Um, you know, we're able to get access um, to see kind of like where kids are and classes that they're in. And so a lot of it was not only supporting like classes that we teach um, or co-teach in, but also our individual students and really, you know, connecting with them. Um, they really were the lucky ones in it, I would say. And I know that sounds crazy, but they had someone specifically checking on them as an individual, as a student, um, and, an, and as a family. Um, and so, you know, we'll continue to do that. Uh, in high school, we're lucky enough to build relationships and do our annual meetings with them at the beginning of a school year. So we already had that rapport built with them um, and can continue that through second semester. Um, but you know, I think that that is a difficult aspect of um, virtual learning um, is the special education piece, and we're continuing to learn and grow, and our corporation has done a really great job of putting together professional development for us um, in technology and through special education and creating digital courses, um, and they're putting it together for the entire month of July that we can see as well, um, and so you know, we're going to continue to grow and we're going to learn and, you know, you never really stop learning. And so uh, we'll just keep working for those students and for our families. So Crystal, if I'm correct, I just want to make sure I'm correct. An IEP is an individualized education plan. Yes, that's yes, correct. Sir. 
Okay, just so everybody realizes yeah. that. And so, oh, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, I mentioned like the annual conference. So anyone who has an IEP um, also receives an ACR, which is an annual case review. So that's where we sit down at the table and we kind of just go through the entire plan and we make plans for the next year and we decide on the goals and the accommodations that, and services that they're going to receive. Um, so that's what I meant when I said the annual meeting. Sure. So uh, Dr. DeMuth and Paul Farmer, what's a, what's a classroom going to look like? How's it going to be different with the need for social distancing, wearing masks, those kind of things? Well, we're going to do the very best we can. Um, what we've done is we've gone around the district, our 23 buildings, and we've measured all of our spaces, divided by six, um, and tried to figure out how many students could fit in each of those spaces. Uh, now the principals are going through their buildings and trying to make determinations on how they can split children up so we can get the best social distancing possible. So um, we will again, do as much social distancing as we can uh, possibly do, where that comes to question is on the buses. Um, and we did get some forgiveness on the bus situation because as you probably know, Baba, you know, our transportation uh, costs um, in terms of our budgets are slim. And that budget is really to take children from their homes to school and school home. And um, we typically have a full bus load as we're going through a route. So we're going to try to divide those routes up as best we can. But again, we have to be fiscally sound in that. So um, we are encouraging parents to bring their children to school, walk their children to school, carpool their children to school. Um, but the bottom line is we're going to do the very best we can. And hopefully um, it works extremely well. It's been interesting to, uh, to listen to our medical professionals because as Mr. Farmer pointed out, um, it's not if we're going to have a COVID uh, situation, it's when, um, because as they've told us, you know, you're not going to prevent it, but you're going to try to slow it down and make sure it, hopefully it doesn't uh, take place in your buildings, but we're going to do the very best we can. You're going to see some different uh, situations in terms of academics, how a, a teacher may teach the core instruction, then may rotate to different groups for core instruction. You may see some things outside happening because as we know, as we have good weather, it's good to get the children outside. So you're going to see differences, but I think that we're going to work our very best to make a safe and secure environment for, for all. Paul may have, yeah, he may have a thought on this. I just wanted to, to follow up and just say, you know, Indiana University, most of the things that I've heard from them involve 30, 33% capacity in classrooms. So are you going to be able to do something like that? We're going to do our best. I'm not sure we're going to give a 33% percentage. You know, we have Ann Leftwich from Indiana University on our committee and as she pointed out, although Indiana University says they're bringing students back, um, she teach, she's going to be teaching one of the very few in-person courses at the School of Education. So most of their courses, many of their courses will be online. Okay, Paul? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Dr. Muth mentioned that um, there, there's not gonna be a cookie cutter, <laughs> sorry about that, a cookie cutter way to solve this problem. Uh, no way is um, are all of our buildings going to be doing the exact same thing because you can't run them that way. Um, there are some core things that yes that that needs to to happen, but um, each building uh, is going to have conversations 
like what we're having at the corporate level with all the people around putting information and putting ideas in. Um, so we, we call that discussion um, at each building level. So what Bachelor does may be slightly different than what Jackson Creek does or what Tri-North does. Same thing with Templeton and uh, University and Benford and Lakeview, um, North, South, so on. That, that they will have teams of people that get together and, you know, what is the best way to social distance within these classrooms? How are we going to do that with numbers? Um, you know, because social distancing is a number thing. As Dr. DeMuth mentioned earlier on in the, in the, in the show was that we, we don't know how many are going to be doing online yet. Uh, we hope to have more of that here coming. Um, maybe the first, second week of July, we'll be able to have those numbers, have a little more stronger sense. So therefore, you know, um, if, if even if students have to move around a little bit to help balance things out, maybe that is a possible option. Um, you know, there's, there's just, I, I think there's just not a single way to do it. And um, lots of minds have to come together at each one of the buildings to be able to make, make the best safe solution for everybody. You're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU, and we're talking with uh, representatives from the Monroe County Community School Corporation on putting together a plan to start the school year in the fall. What's, when's the first day of classes? So um, our students will actually begin on Wednesday, August 5th. So that'll be their first day of classes. So you don't have a whole lot of time to get all this together. We do not. We do not. <laughs> so if you have questions or comments, if you're out there listening to us, news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can send in your questions and you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, you know, being in the classroom is one thing. Um, there are a lot of other aspects. Uh, Dr. DeMuth, you and I have talked about this before. It's kind of like running a, a city. Um, you've got all the uh, extracurricular activities. What's the, what's the outlook for those? That's for sure. Um, the Indiana High School Athletic Association has been at the table as the plan for in-class uh, was put together. Um, they've also put a, a lot of guidance documents out and actually staged uh, when various practices could begin, when contact could begin. Um, so we are following that closely with all of our extracurriculars and it's going to be very helpful. Um, but the one thing I have to say is that the plan is uh, to have extracurricular athletics. Um, and so I think a lot of people uh, previously felt like that wouldn't happen. The plans that I saw from the IHSAA really start on July 6th. Um, and um, that's something that I think a lot of people were kind of surprised about. Uh, but July 6th, we'll start um, conditioning. A lot of our coaches and, you know, they, they work, have been working with the kids and the athletes and the extracurricular kids uh, online. You've seen lots of concerts online and all that. Th that's our extracurricular coaches actually working with kids um, when we probably they probably aren't being paid at that point in time they've been working with them online and it's it's really been kind of exciting to see the kinds of things that they've been able to do with the children but uh, extracurriculars um, are going to move forward um, and then you know we have an early learning center we uh, that center uh, takes care of children six weeks old through preschool and we will be opening that center on July 6th when the governor and the state superintendent closed our buildings and grounds down, we did close that center. And as you know, um, this summer has been difficult, really through March, 
for childcare. Um, Thankfully, most people were working from home, but now it's happening as people are starting to go back into the workplace and they're really looking for childcare. So we're very excited that we'll be able to open that July 6th, but you can just well imagine the precautions and the stress of opening that up to um, these little ones um, because, um, you know, the, by their very nature, uh, babies slobber and, you know, we've got feedings to do and changings to do. And so um, we're all really putting a full court press on right now, making sure that uh, we have our strategies and our protocols in place and we're very tight on our cleaning and prevention. We got a question from Rachel, Dr. Gmuthin. She says, I'm wondering if private schools in the MCCSC system are following the same plans. For instance, what is Harmony doing? Will they be following MCCSC's plan? Um, do you know what? I, I don't know. I know that uh, Kathy Dearsing from the project school is actually um, listening to our large committee work. And so I think she hopes to be in sync with us. I can't really speak for the others in terms of what they're doing. However, um, if they do take uh, public dollars, they are going to be following the in-class guidance from the Department of Education. So that's the best I could give you on that. How about what about the academy? Do you have special plans for the academy? Um, our academy, uh, as one of our high schools, uh, will be following the same kinds of protocols and steps that uh, our both north and south will be following, along with the graduation school. And the really nice thing about that is um, we just got a large grant from um, Regional Opportunities Initiative. And so we're doing some really nice things to create spaces for small groups. So we're very excited about having the ROI opportunity at the same time where social distancing has become so important. Mm -hmm. So I, we were talking about uh, a lot of things that you have to deal with with the school corporation. Another thing is feeding students. So you know, having a big cafeteria open, I would think would not be an option when you get back in August. That is so true. You know, that's going to be one of those spaces where we're going to have to distance children. So um, we're going to be using those spaces to put um, various classes in. And so right now, the best I can think of in terms of what the recommendations will be, will be, um, will be to be a grab and go for both breakfast and lunch. And um, as you know, we've done that all summer. Uh, we have uh, places in the community where we've been serving since all of this started. And so we've gotten pretty sophisticated with that. And I believe we'll be doing the same kind of thing for a while, at least, uh, where students will have their lunches and breakfast brought to them. Um, but because we're going to be using those large spaces for classrooms. We know this week, the governor announced that he wasn't going to cut schools budgets, which is, um, Certainly, I'm sure you were breathing a sigh of relief and a lot of teachers as well. Um, but can you talk a little bit about just the cost of some of the modifications you're going to have to make and the safety measures? Yeah, I think I don't think people realize the, the costs involved. Um, when this all began, um, obviously, there are a lot of cleaning costs, although we've done a really great job with cleaning, but we've had to go out and get things like foggers because um, when you're dealing with buses, it's very difficult to get every nook and cranny. So we've gotten foggers. Um, we've 
actually provided to the community uh, a lot of PPE, a lot of gloves, goggles was a big one for us. You know, people called us right away. So we've donated gloves, goggles, anything you can think of um, to various community members um, as we started this in March and April. But now as we come back, uh, both cleaning supplies, I, I mentioned a couple of things for the deep cleaning, um, and then processes and protocols. Um, you know, we're constantly re-looking at things. Um, do we need to put this a wall here? Do we need to put desks over here? How will we look at this? Do we need portable classrooms? Do we need tents? Um, so everything's on the table in terms of how we can best socially distance. Um, we've taken uh, part in the FEMA grant opportunity. And so we have filed a first uh, wave, if you will, on FEMA. So we'll see what kinds of things that uh, we'll be reimbursed for. And then we are also have taken uh, part in the CARES grant. And one really important component to all of this is number one, the social emotional uh, well-being of our children and staff. Um, and number two, when our kids come back, a really good way for the last year's teachers to hand off the children. I've been very insistent upon that because the way we closed for many of our children uh, was really mentally draining for them. So we got to have some closure from last year's teacher and the handoff to the next year's teacher. Um, so that will work well for you know our children and our families um and we we've got to make sure that as we've talked about the the safety and sense of security for our kids but then also the learning the gaps you know we know our kids have gaps so we've got to hit those gaps hard as we start our learning but the first couple of weeks it's going to be more social emotional pieces so that we can get our kids back We've got to hit our gaps. And then we know we had about 360 families that had a hard time connecting. So we are using our CARES grant to do a couple things. First of all, uh, to put hotspots on our buses so that we can actually put our buses in neighborhoods where they have no connectivity. Uh, number two, we've put hotspots on side, outside the buildings um, during this time, and families have been able to drive up, and we're going to increase the number and availability of those. We've purchased hotspots because some individual families will need to just have a hotspot. We've purchased more devices through the CARES grant because we recognize that we need those for those kids and those, those outliers. But then quite frankly, and, and if Mr. Pritchett, our IT person is listening, um, I, I'm a believer now, we have kids on the line, whether that be Nashville or more toward Heltonville, where there are no towers. And those kids will not be connected, no matter what type of hotspot I give them, they're not going to be connected. So we need to figure out how we're going to deliver instruction to those very few families. So again, as you can imagine, there's a lot of dollars that are going there but it's, very, it's well worth it, needed, and that's how we'll use, be using those grants, and, and hopefully we'll get fully funded on most of those things. Well, Farmer, I'd like to hear your comments on this, too, and the idea that, uh, or the, the points that Governor Holcomb made about not cutting K-12 funding. I know, you know, we've been in a situation where teachers have been uh, fighting hard to be recognized uh, by state government and to get more um, money for salaries. So what's this Where's this put like the, the the MCEA and teachers in terms of, um, you know, your advancement and trying to move forward? 
That's a great question. Um, I'm also, um, right, our local Monroe County Education Association, Association, we're an affiliate of Indiana State Teachers Association and NEA. I'm also on the ISTA Board of Directors with um, uh, the State Education Association. And we've had those conversations because we've been, as you mentioned, we've, we've been pushing for several years um, about the advancement and support and funding for public education. Um, obviously what's happened right now, um, has really made us rethink how are we going to, cause, cause it's, we still believe there's no doubt about that, that, that support of public education, financial support and so on is, 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 it hasn't gone away. Um, it's very important. Um, so how do we approach it differently? Um, we are very, very fortunate that the uh, governor has said, no, we are not going to cut. Not only are we not going to cut, but we're going to continue and fund it at the way that they had originally planned on funding. So that, that was incredibly fortunate that they're going to do that. However, we also know um, after the election starting next spring in, well, actually next winter in January, February, March, and so on, that's another budgetary season. Um, it's another biennium. And that's going to be very difficult because um, obviously our public schools were funded by uh, sales tax dollars and the economy is down, spending is less. Um, there's going to be some very, very difficult decisions and conversations that are going to be occurring during that session. Um, I think part of it is uh, as we go through, um, and, and, and our community has been incredibly, incredibly supportive um, of our, our teachers and our public schools. Um, we've passed two referendums. Um, this one will be up again in two more years. Um, so we've been incredibly blessed by, by having that support. Um, and I think locally, that support obviously still exists. Um, the question becomes, how is that going to be impacted because of the financial constraints with our markets as they are? Um, is your, it's a good question. Um, we're working on it right now. I know our local, one of our goals is to continuing to get out into the public so that they know who we are, that um, yes, we are teachers, um, but we also are part of the community. Um, we we, we want to be part of um, our LGBTQ+, our Black Lives Matter community, um, all of the different organizations that support our children. Um, we want to be part of that as well. Um, so any specific things, no. Uh, we have an election this fall. Uh, one of the things that ISTA is focused on is we don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, Independents, it's irrelevant. Uh, we want people in those seats who are public education friendly. Um, and, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or, or independent, uh, we want those in there who are going to support public education. And that's a big drive here this fall between now and then. Sarah. We got a question from Vanessa, just wondering if any information or decisions have been made on before and after school care for MCCSC elementary schools. Yes. Uh, thank you for that question. Um, 
Yes, when we begin school, uh, we will have our before and after school care programs. And obviously that's another piece to the puzzle uh, in terms of how do we run those programs in a safe environment. You know, we get those kids um, early, 6.30 a.m. Um, to put them in a sterile environment where they're six feet apart is um, very difficult because a lot of them just wanna be cuddled, quite frankly. I mean, these are children we're dealing with. And so um, our child care people are really great and they are very concerned about that and they're working on a plan. But yes, we will have child care before and after. Um, just as I said, you know, open up the ELC, the Early Learning Center on July 7th. Um, and then moving forward as the school year begins with our before and after care programs. Got two two questions I want to use to close the show. Uh, the second one, the last one is going to be to you, Dr. Demuth, about diversity. Uh, Paul mentioned the Black Lives Matter issue. You put out a, a memo recently about the MCCSE. So I'm going to give you a chance to talk about that. But first, I want to ask Crystal and Paul about just the atmosphere and the energy in school buildings, you know, with COVID, what are you expecting? I mean, times between classes and students being able to just, you know, communicate with one another. What do you, what are you expecting that to be like? Paul, well, yeah, sure. Um, I know one of the things, and that's uh, with all of our teachers, and and I have, uh, I'm gonna say, hundreds of hours that we've spent in in Zoom meetings with each other. Um, the teachers really do worry about the social emotional learning and um, the emotional impact that all of this has had on our students. Um, a lot of our students have had family members who have been impacted by it or even maybe themselves. Um, and so I think as Dr. DeMuth mentioned, when we first, when we start the year out, uh, the large focus has to be on how are you doing? How's it going? What can we do to help? Um, that social emotional part and support that they need, um, it's, it, it's not going to be a free-for-all that everybody can do whatever they want, but it's got to be a way that how do we support them? How do, and, and, and how do we support each other? Um, you know, because there's a lot of worry. Um, there's no doubt. I've got lots and lots of teachers who are immunocompromised, who are very high risk. And so... Um, lots of questions about how could we uh, keep ourselves safe and our students safe at the same time. Okay, so, Crystal, I'll let you. Uh, Crystal, <laughs> yeah. sh short answer, and then I'll give Judy the last uh, minute yeah. and a half or so. Of Thank course. You. No, I was just going to say, you know, from a teacher's standpoint, you know, um, and a parent, you know, we're nervous. You know, we we don't know what the future is going to hold, um, but what we can do is we can put in a plan in place communicate what that plan is going to be, um, hold each other accountable to it, um, and then, you know, work through whatever comes our way together um, as a corporation, as a group of teachers, as a class, and whatever, um, you know, whatever happens. But I will say that as teachers, we're excited to see our kids again. Um, and even though we are nervous about what could happen, you know, we, we don't know what the virus is going to do, but like, we're excited to see our kids again. We want to see them in person. Um, you know, we want to teach them. We want to do some social emotional work with them because we need that as well. Um, and so, you know, our reentry committee and Dr. DeMuth and everyone, when we work together, um, and we communicate our plan and we stick to that plan, um, 
good things will happen. And so um, I am nervous about the next year, but I'm also excited. Hey, Dr. DeMuth, I'm, I didn't give you much time, but if you could just give me like 30 seconds on trying to deal with the, the Black Lives Matter and the social justice issues that we're facing now too, as you restart school. Yes, thank you. Um, as you know, we've had a long-standing effort uh, in terms of equity. Um, and um, recently, with the things that have happened in our nation, uh, we realize how important it is to talk about race, racism, diversity. Um, and the bottom line is this year, we started with our students a series called Real Talk. And that's where we bring children or students together to have very good conversations about the concerns they have about that environment. Um, we, ap after this happened with George Floyd, we decided we would pull together and offer a summer series. The other day we offered a, a, a time when parents could listen to some of the dialogue, but the series we're putting together is really focused for students because a lot of our students you know, are seeing everything they're seeing on TV and they're saying, where do I fit in? How do I fit into this world? And so right now uh, we'll be starting with our students. We'll be talking about black lives. They do really matter and the importance of all of our diversity and how we want to honor that and move that forward. Because okay. here's the thing, in working with these kids, there are leaders and we won't have to have these meetings anymore they're going to lead us forward. Thank you very much. I'm sorry I didn't give you more time for that. So thank you to Dr. Judy DeMuth, Crystal Bratton, and Paul Farmer, and John Bailey for Matt Stonecipher and Mike Pashkash, our engineers. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.